Welcome, welcome, welcome back to episode eight now of The Lock-In. We've managed to entertain you for, I think, pretty much four months now, Dara. It's been quite a while. I mean, I've lost complete track of time. If you said four years, I would have agreed with it. So I'm, I'm Just a blur. I, I assume you've done your usual research and it is four months. Or, or I've done my usual research and it's not four months and I've just taken a bad guess. But yeah, it's possible. Yeah, at least I think you got the episode number right this time. Yeah, that's not happened every single time. Well, look, on this uh, professional note, I'd like to bring in a true professional in our game, one of the broadcasting greats at the moment. Jamie Kersella, welcome to the lock-in. Hey, thanks. Nice to be here. Nice to talk to humans who don't live in my house. Ah, <laughs> Or just, or just humans, I suppose, because like, we they're behind you. The, 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 it's, there isn't a human lying very comfortably now on your floor. <laughs> yeah, Crouton, uh, he was a little upset he wasn't invited, but he just decided to crash this pod anyway. His chill game is incredible. He just looks so chill there. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly goes. Flash has never made an appearance on the pod, Dad. Uh, Dara, what's going on? Uh, she, she, she has actually, but you just never noticed, um, which is rather sad. But... Uh, oh. She, uh, she at the moment she's 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 gone off on a trip with our youngest oh sorry with our oldest son uh, who lives with us but he's gone for a few days and uh, she can she can never bear to be without him so she she basically goes everywhere without him with with him rather nice I don't have any pets because I'm allergic so I I just have like a the model Stegosaurus I always get scared <laughs> when you reach off screen to because you've got so many reprehensible things in your man cave uh, I never really know what to expect. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know how I'd feel if you're like, hey, where's your hand? And he's like, I'm just touching my Stegosaurus. That's all I got for today. <laughs> yeah, Dad, you're the best. And here's the Stegosaurus that I like. That I'll let you play with for a day and put on the show. Anyway, <laughs> Jamie, we have loads to talk about. Uh, as I said, uh, you are one of the great broadcasting people we have in this industry and very tragically are sitting here with me and Dara and not in a booth at the World Series right at this very moment you should and would be commentating the World Series of Poker main event. Uh, maybe I don't know I thought maybe I'd get shit canned after last year but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I miss it I um I really enjoy commentating and I kind of I've done a little bit of the remote commentary for some things and it's just a lot different I don't know I feel like a lot of the stuff that uh, that I enjoy about commentary is like some of the like, personal interactions people are having with each other and making jokes and commenting on stuff like that. So when it's just a, a screen I'm watching and, and uh, online poker, it's a little bit different. Yeah, the other feather to your cap is the Twitter Personality of the Year awards that you took down. I noticed you're, you're, you're not doing that thing where your awards are right behind you uh, <laughs> in screenshots. Uh, Dara, we actually, we're not doing it. We usually do that too. No, no, it's there. It's there. You just have to look a bit more carefully. <laughs> oh, I see book. it. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, sorry, I'm, the book's just so much. I'm doing this new thing where I'm going to move it around every week so people can play spot the GPI award. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, a little, it's actually a little known fact, but Dara is the 2013 Ireland Twitter Personality of the Year. So I'm actually the only person who doesn't have a Twitter-specific <laughs> award here. Yeah. And let me just but say, 2013 a... is the last year they gave out that award. So actually, You're the reigning, reigning one. Two yeah. reigning champions. Yeah, nice. at least you have uh, your biggest fan in your background, David. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Sorry, but... <laughs> it took a while to get that. That's yeah, that, um, that was a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad joke. 
Well, look, speaking of bad jokes, you do tell the best jokes on Twitter. And I always remember a conversation we had early on where you told me how you write a lot of Twitter posts and then don't publish them. They go into the drafts folder and then actually most of them don't make it out of the drafts folder. And then I got to thinking, well, two things. One, Jamie Cressetter's drafts folder would probably be one of the best Twitter accounts out there. <laughs> and then I thought, well, actually, maybe there should be a Jamie's drafts folder Twitter account where you send <laughs> them and then they get to have a life of their own. You know, the drafts are way better than my real account. Usually the drafts are the things that I'm like, oh, if I post this, this is like I'm torching this friendship or this <laughs> this connection in poker or something. That's usually what my drafts are. It's not like, oh, I can make this joke better. It's usually just, let me sleep on this one. And, you know, I don't want to start this huge fight today. <laughs> Sarah, what's your ratio of tweets written and tweets sent? Um, pretty much 100%. I, I know a few years ago you told me I should have a drafts folder and I should wait, wait an hour, uh, which I think was your polite way of saying my Twitter game was absolutely shit. But uh, I never, I, I, I tried it for a while and then I just got confused and I was just like, no, if I'm going to tweet it, I'm going to tweet it. A lot of my tweets now go out with typos uh, and stuff. Um, yeah. it's, it's pretty slipshod, I have to say. The only thing I would say in my defense is that it's actually a great trick to put a typo into a, into a tweet because then you get interaction on the typo. Nice. That's true. <laughs> Anywhere you can find the engagement. Yeah. yeah. Also, if I saw like this masterful tweet that has one tiny typo, I'm like, wow, this is like so off the cuff. The guy just thought of it and tweeted it. <laughs> he didn't even edit it. It's so yeah. amazing. You know, <laughs> there's yeah. level. Genius. Genius. Well, one of your very funny recent tweets, uh, Jamie, I'm going to get it right here, is every poker player's worst day of the year is the day they bust the main event for the 22nd time. Will you be traveling to play any of the GG events? Of course, they are now three bullets only, unless you can find multiple accounts, which you probably fucking can, let's be honest. So there are probably still going to be people in there playing it 22 times. Uh, or is it just going to be WSOP.com for you this year? I've seen you play a few games on there already. Yeah, uh, I'm going to play almost the full schedule of WSOP.com. Um, it's nice to be in Nevada for this. But I don't know. There's like conflicting reports from people about GG. So like, I don't know. I'm not sure how much I should really say, but fuck it. Um, they, like, people have said they VPN. Like, oh, no one really cares. Like, there's certain sites that you can VPN. It's not a big deal. Uh, but then in their terms of service for, for GG, it's like absolutely no VPNing for these bracelet events. Um, but then if you like were to talk to someone who maybe is somehow related to GG, it's like, hey, you need to set up this account. And I'm like, I'm in America and they won't let us leave. <laughs> like nobody wants Americans right now because we all have the coronavirus. Um, so I'm not really sure if I wanted to leave, if I could even go anywhere. If I could go to Canada, I, I guess I could probably go to Mexico. I'm not sure about that anymore. Um, so I'm not really sure what they're going to do. Um, if people are claiming to have left the U.S., but they're not allowed, I don't know. This is, this is going to be a clusterfuck at some point. Uh, if somebody like me were to win a bracelet on GG and you're like, that's weird. How did she even leave Las Vegas? So I'm not really sure. I'm not taking any chances. I got enough stuff to play here. It's cool. But I feel bad for the people who have to make that choice, who are uh, like very plus EV in every event they play. They have to decide now if they want to try to travel, which is dangerous right now, or VPN, which is potentially dangerous to your, your wallet <laughs> if you end up winning 200K and you don't know if you can get it or not. I'm not I think they need to be more clear about that. And I don't think there's a lot of direction besides that one, hey, the terms of service are this, but then they should also direct anyone who works with Gigi to make it clear 
that you can't be VPNing these things or, you know, make it clear that they're not going to go after your money if you do. Yeah, that's really interesting. I suppose we're so um, paranoid, quite rightly, in poker because of, well, well, well I don't, countless numbers of examples, Dara, you can remember most of them as well, where people did sort of have sites come down, did have sites change terms of service, did have regulations sort of imposed upon them or did flout regulations and then suddenly got in big trouble. Yeah, I mean, it's a fairly widely held view among online players that <clears throat> some of the sites, they're aware if you're VPNing, but they only come after you after a big win uh, when, when now they get to keep the money. So you, you, you can be getting negatively free rolled in a sense. That's obviously a very big concern. Um, so you, you definitely, I agree with Jamie completely. The site needs to say absolutely categorically whether, uh, it's acceptable for Americans to VPN given the, um, rather unique circumstances we're in where it's, they, they might want to travel, but they can't, or if they will rigidly enforce the no VPN rule, which then means anybody who risks, risks not getting paid. Yeah, this is, this is the kind of thing too, where. Back in the day, let's say it was probably 10 years ago where there were these big uh, scandals with like people abandoning their extremely winning screen names to VPN from the US under an anonymous name and they would just wreck everyone because they would have tons of history with people and those people had no idea they were playing a very good pro. Um, I don't think there, this is the case here. There's a couple of Irish here. people with these accounts, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't think Irish that's the case here. I think this is like the difference between just like in this spot, violating the terms of service is not some unethical thing. It's just against terms of service. Like, I don't think anyone's doing anything wrong if yeah. they have never played on GG and they make a name and they VPN. I don't care. I feel like we should be able to play in the US. It's absolute bullshit that we can't play. Our country's kind of crazy for that. Um, so I don't think this is one thing where I'd be like, oh, go after those people who are VPNing. Like, I don't care. I'm more worried about people who choose to do and win money. I really hope they get to keep it because that would really suck to get free rolled in that way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, we actually had the great pleasure of interviewing your colleague, Lon McCarran. We, we actually interviewed him last week, although his episode will go out after your lock-in. So um, nobody knows what, what, what will be in that now, but we do. And I have to say, he praised you massively. He, he, he is a huge Jamie Kersteller fan. He, he was asked a question by you through us of who was his fam favorite New Jersey-based blonde commentator, uh, which he got the answer right. So that was nice. Um, but, he, but, but he did, he had nothing but positive things to say. And, and I guess like for an established team like him and Lon for so many years, I know they had Esfandiari in the booth and Negranu did a bit and Helmut does a bit and whatever over the years. But to actually go from being a duo to a proper trio like they did last year and for you to step into that, aside from how nerve wracking it must have been initially anyway, um, like what was that experience like and, and sort of how did they both treat you? Um, they, I got along really well with them. They complement each other so well that like, I just kind of got to plug in there and, um, and make jokes and just try to do some light analysis and stuff like they are already a good team. So, you know, Norm, I do well with those people who are smart asses because I'm, I'm like, oh, it's gonna be a competition for like, we'll keep score and see who wins at the end about like, who could be nastier to the other. I think I won. Um, and then there's Lon who's just like, I could just kind of take him and add him to my team. So it was two versus one against Norm. And it was just really fun. Um, and they're both just really nice people. So even when I'm fighting with Norm, like he's a really nice person. He helped me a lot. There was a lot of stuff that I went through last year with dealing 
underprepared and having like that imposter syndrome and all this stuff. And while we would give each other shit in the booth, he would have, he would email me later that day from his AOL.com account, by the way, he's the last guy with AOL <laughs> account. Uh, and just, he would give me a bunch of tips for, you know, I'm, I'm super wooden and scared in front of a teleprompter on camera. I hate it. It makes my skin crawl thinking about it. I cannot watch the reruns. Uh, and he gave me a bunch of tips for like dealing with that. Um, and just was like super kind to me. And same with Lon. Lon was like helping. He's like, oh, like let, let's send you to this makeup artist. Like he had his own. And he's like, oh, she'll, she bought all this stuff because she doesn't get to work on girls ever. Like go to her. And like, he was like helping me in these random like fatherly ways. I just think they're both really nice people. I'm glad that uh, as poker progressed and got more, I got away from that like old school stuff that they still stuck around. Cause I think they're a really valuable um, part of the WSOP brand. Yeah, totally agree. Dara, you've had the great pleasure of uh, sharing a boot with them too. What are your fondest memories? Um, well, I remember my least fondest memory, and I, I bring this up every time with Jamie, is that she, she literally chucked me out of the boot because they found they obviously found a real American celebrity. So <laughs> that, that, that cut my period short. But yeah, I, I, I think what she said. I mean, I, I, I found Lon just incredibly charming. And literally within 30 seconds of sitting down, I felt like I'd known him all my life. Um, or that he'd known me all his life, let's say, because I, I, I'd i obviously seen him, I heard him on TV. Um, so I did have that feeling of like, I know him, but he doesn't know me. But that really didn't last very long. He's a, he's an incredible straight man, I guess, just setting you up for the the questions and, uh, and, and, and also really good at filling dead air, I think, which is a very, very particular broadcast skill. Because, um, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there's not very much happening in a poker tournament and people who are there just for the analysis can struggle as as will kasu tanks for the 12th minute but uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot there's never a, there's never a dead air moment with lon in the booth yeah it is such a an amazing skill but also the least obvious skill that uh, I, I guess he brings in spades um from one of our guests to one of yours uh, jamie you recently interviewed charlie carroll and I, I guess we're not completely leaving the subject of broadcasting because you spoke about your reticence and maybe your discomfort with Twitch streaming the times that you've done it. And obviously Charlie does a bit of it and Marley's on that show. You're on the right. And um, she's sort of doing it and, and actually really succeeding at the moment, like building an audience, building a, a channel and... Um, yeah, I can see her, her channel going from strength to strength, to be honest, but it does require a particular set of skills. It's quite a unique challenge. My personal feeling was I had to drink to continue to do it. My only way of coping was by sort of bringing in, I'd like to say one or two gins, but Dara's going to contradict me here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I felt that was a really poor decision because, like, you're a very morose drunk. <laughs> That's the only way to describe it. You're not... You're, you're extremely entertaining when you're sober or very, very slightly drunk, but past a certain mm -hmm. point, usually the second or third gym, and let's face it, that was like 20 seconds into your streams. That was, you that just was sit there off camera before I even arrived. Yeah, I got to the stage where I actually started worrying and I was, you know, sending messages asking Sharon, were you okay? Just go in and check that he hasn't hung himself because we're on a five minute delay. So like, who knows? He might, <laughs> he might have. There's always There's still time to resuscitate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there were, there were streams I remember where you know, it's just always that fucking thing of like, you're just down to your last bowl comp. And it's like, oh, great, what's fucking up top here? Like fucking 600 quid. Great, well, that'll be a third of my <laughs> on winning. On your sponsor's side. <laughs> on the sponsor's yeah. side, but you can't escape 
shout out to you and you got poker. Um, <laughs> this puzzle that you can't escape. You have to just like grind it out. Try to stay cheerful. It's not really possible, to be honest. <laughs> you have no other potential games because it's kind of midnight now and you're just going to be one tabling. And you're, of course, you're like fucking second in chips of like 30 left. You know, so it's going to be just like three hours of this shit. <laughs> and I would just sort of just go quiet. And just as Dara said, maybe just a sort of morose quality. And then Dara, and then it would eventually end and then I turn it off and Dara would just, there'd just be a, you okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay do you want to talk (laughs) (laughs) i i found it kind of hard um it's really weird i just felt like i don't like hearing my own voice for that long too it just starts to feel really weird if you're in there for eight hours you're doing a long stream you're the only one talking you're just like reading chat and then like responding that way it's just a weird thing to do i don't know i got to the point where i'm like uh i also i have like a the personality type where sometimes I'm very extroverted, maybe like once a week, I'm like, oh, I want to just talk to everyone. I call my mom, I call my friends, everything. And then other days I'm just like, no, I just study or something or I read a book. I don't talk to anyone. And when you have a Twitch stream, you're going to fail if that's how you are um, because people want you to have a schedule and they want to know, oh, okay, I like this channel and she streams Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I'll be there for that. And I'm like, well, Monday and Wednesday, I didn't feel like talking at all. <laughs> so like either you have your silent stream and everyone's the whole time, um, or you have to put on this like fake personality and I don't do that well. I don't like it. It's exhausting. I think it probably affects uh, your win rate in the game if you're just like not really feeling it and you have to kind of put on a show. So I didn't really take to it that much. I do like it. I did a charity stream um, for the poker media and it was like three days of streaming. It was once a week. And that one I was like, all right, I'm down to do once a week. And it's fun because the chat doesn't give you too much shit because if they're making fun of you while you're streaming for charity, they're kind of just dicks. <laughs> so they were like kind of fun to hang out with. Um, and that was cool. I just I like commentary more where you're having a conversation. Yeah other stuff's happening. You're not just like talking about yourself and your own play the whole time. I kind of feel like that just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't appeal to me uh, five days a week or however much these people have to do it to get a big audience. Yeah, it is so exhausting. And I, I suppose something that actually, in fairness, our good pals Fitton and Spraggy did initially, at least, was to do joint streams. And I thought mm-hmm. that was a brilliant idea. Now, I know if people are watching on the phone, Everything's a little bit small, maybe you can't kind of see the action kind of the way you would want. But in terms of entertainment, it was the perfect way of, you know, the lads can bounce off each other, the, they mm-hmm. can keep the plates spinning with the, the action. And then, you know, you've doubled the chances of someone doing a deep run or being an interesting pop. So you've, you're much more likely to have entertaining content there. Dara, you watch a fair amount of uh, Twitch streams. I know you've done one or two appearances and obviously our Unibet Open broadcasts go out on Twitch, but it, that's sort of a different animal, really. Yeah. What do you look for in terms of your taste when you do that? Is it high stakes or is it is it more about the entertainment value? Uh, it's probably more about the entertainment value, to be honest. Um, also, a lot of it is just sort of academic in the sense that like, I'm interested in what works on Twitch and what doesn't and, and why it doesn't. It's, it's quite a difficult platform to get your head around because a lot of stuff that I initially would think, oh, this is definitely going to work because it's very entertaining, just seems to fall flat. And then not naming any names obviously but there are some big streamers when i watch i literally just cannot understand the appeal uh mm-hmm. I, I mean when i watch spraggy i can obviously understand the appeal he's a very funny guy very down-to-earth guy mm-hmm. um and he's he's incredibly entertaining so in the poker space someone like spraggy or or, or marley who is obviously very similar 
they're the kind of people that I personally gravitate towards. But but then I'm also interested in looking at the other uh, Twitchers and see like what is it about this person that makes them so popular. A lot of it, I think it just comes down to regularity. Um, people want to know that you're twitchy Monday to Friday, always at the same time. And it just becomes, it, it, it almost reminds me of um, of local radio when I was growing up. Local radio was was uh, dominated by these DJs who weren't particularly good DJs because if they were, they'd be on national radio, but they were, you know, they, they were there every night and sort of people, that's what appealed to people. There was a sense of community about the people who listened mm -hmm. as well. I think, I feel like it's the same on Twitch. People, it's it's as much about the interaction of the audience among each other as it is about the, uh, the, the focal point, which is the person twitching. Yeah, that I liked that actually like when I got into routine I was with party New Jersey when it first opened up and so I was streaming for them um, and at first it was tough because there'd be like 50 people watching and I was like okay I'll do this thing because I'm sponsored and they want me to do it or oh, whatever it's fine um, but I felt like I was having to put on a show the whole time and then as it progressed I would get a couple hundred people and a lot of them were the same people all the time so I didn't have to carry it as much because they would bring up these like running jokes themselves and have interactions with each other and then I'd like actually have fun because someone would bring up something that made me laugh it wasn't fake and I'd be like oh whatever uh bunghole 203 says this <laughs> like you know your the people's names on twitch are my favorite but uh they would have little interactions with each other and I just felt like oh cool like I'm not the show right now like they are having fun regardless if of if I make a deep run or if I'm like super talkative today or whatever. So I think some people like as long as they stick with it, it does get better and, and it kind of like takes on a life of its own and you don't have to be like, I don't know. I'm with you though with like sometimes I'll watch a stream um, and it's like, it's not genuine. Like person's like, holy shit, a six on the river. I can't believe it. I'm like, <laughs> eh? like this is a very yeah. possible outcome at all times. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you are a hard professional. You should not be you should not be getting upset over getting three outed anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, one of the other entertainment sort of platforms, which I guess has done very well, Twitch has had a, a bit of a boom through this lockdown era, is obviously Netflix, which we're all relying upon, but we're also all sort of running out of Netflix left. I think like people have probably finished YouTube at this point. It's been so long. You recently went back to an, an, an old show that pretty much everybody in the world has seen, uh, Jamie, but you for some reason have never managed to stick with. Can you explain yeah. this shame? Yeah, well, I, I watched The Wire when everyone was watching it, however long ago that was. And I watched the first two episodes and didn't like it at all like uh it's kind of weird because i just feel like that with tv i'm like if you don't like the show just move on like tv is not good for your brain anyway you know it's kind of like when people are like oh you should really try mozzarella sticks i'm like i don't like those and they're like oh try this kind. i'm like why like this is bad for you <laughs> why, like why try to like foods that are bad for you so that's how i felt about the wire i'm like i don't really want to waste my time watching this show because it's going to waste like 100 hours of my life and i don't really care for this at all um, and then enough people told me how stupid I was and that it's the best show ever and to just like stop being an idiot and get past two episodes and they were 100% correct. I watched all five seasons in the matter of like two weeks. Um, I just have had it on every day when I was playing and just watching it and it is really, I think this might be the best show I've ever seen. It's like pretty close to Sopranos. You watched it while playing, so you haven't yeah. watched The Wire. No, I'm going to watch it again. Better. That was my problem with it, that like the first two episodes, um, it's a really bold choice by the writers to introduce you to like 30 characters mm. 
and not really make you care too much for any of them at first. That's what was tough for me in the beginning is that like I went through the first two episodes and I was like, oh man, these storylines are complicated. And also like, all right, like someone's after this guy and wants to kill him, but I don't really care. I don't really know this guy yet. And like, you're supposed to start caring about all these people so deeply without anything really having happened um, for you to get, for the show to like get its hooks in you. And then after watching like season one, I was like, I can't wait to watch this show again. Now that I know all these people, the first couple episodes are probably going to be way more interesting. So you start to see how like the, I don't know, all the gangs and stuff, like how they are inter interconnected and the background stories and stuff. But I don't know, that's like a weird thing for a show to do, right? Usually they're like, something huge happens. And then like, you have something where you're like, okay, this show is going to be about this, this one thing that happened. Don't you feel like the first few episodes is like, they just kind of are like, yeah, they're hanging out in Baltimore, selling drugs. <laughs> well, what I thought was amazing about that show was that like Simon's trick in a way was that he did exactly what you said there where he's like okay here's 30 characters it's going to take you a while keep up maybe watch every episode twice and then it will get its hooks in by maybe halfway through season one and then by the end of season one like you said you're like oh my god that was so brilliant I can't wait for more I want to find out what happens to these people and they go no here's 40 new characters that you also <laughs> have to incorporate into the yeah. I know. And I, I felt myself being kind of racist in the second season because I'm like, they, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Look, hear me out. They introduced like all these people and I'm like, who the fuck are these white guys? I don't care. Because <laughs> like, it was just like every favorite character you have from the first one, from the projects and stuff, they just are gone. And I'm like, well, what happened to that guy? Like, I want to know. And then all of a sudden it's just all these dudes at the shipyard. And I was like, what did they just not offer get, enough money to these other these other actors want to get back to the the streets yeah exactly yeah <laughs> but it was kind of the genius of it dara i know you've seen the show as well like yeah. that that sort of um the bravery of that move to just kind of do that switch to go oh we're going to be in the docklands now and instinctively that was sort of a less interesting story mm -hmm. but actually what you were well, we took a while but what you realized was oh he's telling us the city's story and how it all works together and that was just mind-blowing as a, as a writer not a particularly successful one but as a writer uh, i just thought oh wow that's an achievement like that is just an astonishing achievement in writing to and, and to piece so those topical together. right now because like uh i think it was sasha solinger who said i don't know if you want to watch this right now if you're like already depressed about the state of things and like how corrupt so many different levels of government and everything is um and she was right there were some things where i was like oh this is really annoying to like watch the low-level um, drug offenders being like thrown to the ground and cuffed and brought in for nothing, and then watching like government officials and judges and lawyers and everyone else be able to scam and scum everyone and like mostly get away with it. Um, and like right now, I was like, wow, this is a little too close to home um, for it to just be like entertaining TV. But but also, it's pretty cool of the writers and director that that they can have such like an evergreen show where you're like, yeah, it still kind of is like this right now. Yeah. The burner phones are the only thing that dates it really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, what is it? Beepers and stuff when they're using yeah. their pagers. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the burner phones, Brokos told me once that he actually worked in a, in a store in Baltimore that sold burner phones. And after watching The Wire, he suddenly realized why he used to see the same clients over and over but oh, coming great. back. <laughs> and he never dropped. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the sort of uh, confusion aspect, I'd say, of the show where they brought in those new characters. Because a lot of the appeal for watching TV for me is like, I watch it with my wife and mm -hmm. she shouts at me anytime she's confused. So that, the whole <laughs> like first half of the season was just her shouting, who's that guy? I thought yeah. he was dead. Why is he doing that? Uh, and then when she finally got it for like season one and then season two was just like 
total reboot. Let's start again. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, good times. <laughs> Good times indeed. Well, look, we, we, we come to maybe our final topic of conversation, Jamie, and I suppose it's, it's probably the, the most delicate one to maybe navigate in, in a way, but then also in another way, it's, it's a very easy one to, to pass comment on. Uh, recently, we obviously had that pretty nasty outburst from Mike Matisau on his Twitch stream. He twitches now, he's twitching WSOP events. His stream is really reasonably popular. People tune in. It's, it's actually, you know, watched by hundreds and hundreds, even knocking on a thousand people. So, you know, he has an audience and he decided to be absolutely atrocious to that audience. And, and, and there was definitely some people in there playing along and enjoying what he was saying and sort of um, maybe sharing his opinion. I don't even know, or maybe just watching the car crash. I'm not sure, but you know, for anyone who, who hasn't heard or seen it, yes, you, you can find the clips um on uh you can actually find them on my on my uh uh to, to, to twitter feed um i sort of clipped together the summarized version of what was a, a sort of an hour-long vitriolic attack of somebody who didn't even that, that's so out. weird you're you're never a shit sir usually you just kind of hang back with all the drama and you never really chime in at all i'm surprised it's on your twitter feed <laughs> you, you called me a good-natured meddler yesterday you you seem to have uh switched opinions like <laughs> Um, but D Dara, I don't know. Have you have you had a chance to to see any of this? And just like our game does not need this kind of shit, basically. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I saw it because it's on your Twitter timeline, and you've sent me all your tweets about ten times a day <laughs> just to make sure that I've seen them and liked them. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was outrageous outburst, um, and it can't really be excused or justified in any way. The only thing I would say is that Mike is clearly an idiot, and. Uh, big child and this this stuff happens all the time with him he is unfortunately representative of a lot of uh men of approximately my age actually who hold some fairly objectionable views but have at least learned not to uh <laughs> to express them in a public forum he's he, he he doesn't seem to have that filter uh he did apologize the next day um which again you know, you have to give him at least some credit for that. A lot, of, a, a lot of these guys get entrenched. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was very ugly and particularly troublesome. I mean, he didn't realize at first that he was dealing with a female player, um, and he he seemed a little bit uh, already downcast when he re when that realization hit. But in an in an atmosphere where there's already a lot of focus on um a lot of really bad practices of male players towards female players in poker and how that possibly impacts the low representation of females in poker this was this this was sort of a graphic illustration of of why a lot of women don't want to play poker with uh, with, with with these very um loud loud mouth um not particularly smart men Mm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's certainly something worth talking about. The only thing I would think about, say about Mike again, is that I think he's a very easy target because he's such an obvious idiot. Uh, mm. but there's actually a lot worse out there. Guys who are maybe not as forthright with their views, but actually do hold views as bad or worse. Um, and that, that also poisons the whole, uh, culture around male, female relations in poker. Yeah, there you're right in that there was a, there was a moment there where he obviously realized that he was like Megan, Me Megan, and it, 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 like it even with his sort of you know probably Adderall added adult brain, something switched and he kind of went, oh shit, this won't play out well anymore. 
and you could see he was but then there's also just this other aspect that was like i have to double down because i can't be i can't be that yeah. sort of male that you described dara and not be the one who goes well i'm not i'm not i'm not sorry i'm not yeah well, i always feel like mike that there's like three or four different uh brain processes running at the same time all of them pretty hair-brained it has to be said but they're like competing with each other uh for for control of his mouth um which i think is part of his appeal actually i think people do watch his stream for the car for the car wreck um Mm. you know love it or loathe it it is more entertaining to watch than you know somebody playing perfect gto poker uh, or somebody drinking gin morosely saying nothing for three hours. Here now, no need to go back to that. But I do want to bring you in here, Jamie, because I suppose the, the aspect to it, which which Dara pointed out, which obviously that it turned out to be uh, a female player he was up against, uh, which made his kind of gross comments maybe extra gross or did it? I don't really know. I think they were just fucking really bad anyway. But like, to what extent did it change it when he found out it was a woman in terms of what he had said on the stream? And then obviously his extraordinarily ugly tweets is just like yeah that was what was weird is that uh on stream he kind of backed off a little bit when he found out it was a woman and i was like okay this is like mike growing up being like okay i can't threaten violence against this like 90 pound girl uh that doesn't look great and i'm gonna just stop doing that but then later he gets on a tweet and calls her a cunt and i'm like uh that's not cool Um, and I don't know. And like, we can tell he's not hundred percent sober. So I think that that factors in that Mm -hmm. he will, he'll go off and do these things and like kind of give the audience what they want, which is like the Madison blow up. Um, but then later, uh, I agree with Dara that like, he does, he does rethink how he's coming across and to his credit does usually say something you know and it's just weird though because like the doubling down came on twitter later so that is usually the opportunity he takes to be like you know dial it down a little and say oh you know i was really upset i'm sorry but he actually said the worst thing later Mm. and then apologized later uh Mm. and i don't know i I have a funny story about mike he does he is sexist like he I think he has good intentions for a lot of the things he he is trying to do, but this is just like hilarious. Right after the main event, after I did commentary last year, um, we played in a poker go, a poker after dark game that was like all a bunch of people who are associated with the main event. And we're playing together for maybe two hours and we have a break. And I had been chatting with him because like a couple people at the table were getting really annoyed with his like constant talking, Um, but I didn't mind it. And so I'm chatting with him a little bit. So on break, he goes, you know, I really regret talking to Maury and telling him that too many women are on ESPN and that they're pushing that agenda and I don't like it and all this. I was like, wait, what? And he goes, yeah, I just mentioned that like having a girl in the commentary booth is like a little much and all this stuff. And I was like, what the fuck, man? And he just goes, you know, but now that I meet you, I feel like they could get rid of one of the other ones. Oh dear. Like what is this? It's him that that was him like was partly him apologizing for you yeah. know, he, he was kind of apologizing to me for going to Mori, who like Mori Escondani's like the nicest dude ever and probably just like, Okay, Mike, sure Mike, we'll get right on it. You know, and just like <laughs> going along with it. Cause he he is, like he's the best person. Um but you know, uh, like Mike just saying that to me was his way of saying, I changed my mind about you, kid. And I'm like, dude, why do you why do you feel that way about women to start with? So there is this underlying thing where even if it's the moment, it's in the heat of passion, and he's like, screw this girl, like she's the C word, all this stuff. 
um, there's something behind it. So I, I don't know, like the people on Twitter who are saying, um, maybe Mike's not well, like maybe it's, maybe he's taking something, some medications, um, maybe he's not okay. So like, don't attack him. Don't go and everyone slow roll him and, and like, don't torture this guy. I'm like, fair. That's a fair point. I don't think we should torture this person. Um, especially if he is willing to apologize and try to do better. Um, and maybe at the time he's not acting in like a hundred percent, uh, I don't know, a sober brain, but also, I don't think you can just let comments like that go and say, oh, that person might not be okay, so we're just going to let them say whatever they want. He built an audience. He has an audience of people who listen and who will take in what he says and think that's okay. Okay, you can just call people like women the C-word in poker. It's totally fine. Like, it's part of the game and all this stuff. I'm like, I don't care where it's coming from. We have to address the thing that happened, the things that were said, and let people know like female rec players that this isn't going to happen to you. We won't put up with this. It's not okay. Um, and like more it, worse than just being called names. Cause who cares? You can call me whatever you want at the table. If I'm winning your chips. Go ahead. Let the C words fly. Um, but he, he was calling for her information to be put out there. Who yeah. is this person? Uh, what's their real name? Like, let's get the, per like find out everything about this person. And I'm like, well, that's, that's like a step past what is okay. That's way past like, oh, you're calling them a name or something because there are crazy people on the internet. There's definitely crazy people who are his fans. And I don't think that Megan deserves that for what might've been an unintentional slow roll or a knit roll or whatever, or she might've been multi-tabling. Of course, yeah. Yeah, no, like obviously the, the comments were just beyond the pale, but the thing that I kept coming back to as I was think, sort of thinking about it for the next day or so was sort of what's the appropriate response because it does feel like Mike, he's created a platform for himself with his podcast, the Mouthpiece podcast, has a reasonably big audience. Um, he has created uh, a, now a Twitch brand, which I don't know if he's going to continue beyond the World Series, but there's not that many people twitching the World Series. So if you go on the directory when it's World Series of Poker Time and mm -hmm. that's one of the kind of top ones you find, a lot of people are going to click on that. And then obviously the World Series has sort of disowned him, but at the same time refused to ban him, which I actually don't know. You've a, you're a lawyer, Jamie, so maybe you could have answered this better than either Dara or I, but like, what could the WSOP have done reasonably? I actually didn't know. Like, I kind of thought instinctively he should probably get banned, but then I was also like, well, actually, is that overstepping by them? Can you really impinge upon someone in that way i don't oh, know yeah there's there's nothing they're a private company they could mm -hmm. they could refuse service to any player at any time they could hear something i say on twitter from like the rake is too high and go okay you're not welcome to play on here anymore it would be mm -hmm. bad pr for them to do that to players but they're perfectly welcome to do that um i think it, it's really hard because we've seen this before where um very well-known players tend to uh get very good outcomes when they do the same thing that a, a recreational player, someone without a name does. I don't know if that's the case here or if they just, everyone recognize it as, okay, he apologized as soon as he was, you know, <laughs> as soon well, as he what? realized what was happening and maybe that's why, but we've seen other people like uh, Slay, Slayer, Luke Grable is a good example of this. Yeah. Yes, there's got, a perfect example. He got banned for similar things. Like he was, I was there that day. We actually didn't talk for two years after that because he was so pissed off that I told him he was out of line. He's like, you should have my back. And I was like, Slay, I was trying to get you to stop talking. Like he was, he was probably drinking or something. And I, I just kept being like, please don't get booted from a table where you have a million up top. 
Um, but he can't, he's like a very, he, he's expressive and he thought he was getting picked on and bullied by a couple people on the rail and he kept going on and on about it. Um, but he got booted for very similar behavior. Um, and he also tried to, to make it right. He has written letters. He's done everything he could do to try to get back in. And you know, if he got back in, he's going to be on his best behavior because he's been banned for so long and missed out on so many WSOPs. Like I would trust him at this point. Also, he, I, I think he does a lot less, you know, I, I hate this because like talking about substance abuse, I'm like, I'm not even against drugs, but some people are. So it's like, it's tough to talk about, but um, I think he's got his shit together now. So him not getting a second chance, but then bigger name pros snap getting a second chance, getting no punishment. Um, I think that's not very fair. I get what Ty Stewart was saying, where he's like, are we really going to police every platform that a poker player is on? Like, can they look at a tweet they don't like of mine and say, oh, get that girl off of our WSOP. We don't want her. She talked about the rake. Uh, things like that. Like, I get what he's saying, but I'm like, this one was brought to everyone's attention. It's very much out there. You don't have to dig to find something bad here. It's been brought to their attention. And I think even if they offered some nominal punishment, I feel like that would have been uh, at least sending a signal. If they say, hey, you're banned for a week from these online events, even that, it's just like saying, hey, we care about you, Megan Milburn and that he made you uncomfortable. And, and I feel like that would have been enough. I don't know, I think they should have done something. Really well said, really well said. Um, Dara, in a broader sense with, with this conversation, because Jamie brought up there was that uh, we are in danger of creating, or maybe it's already a system that's been created of the top tier elite sort of people, maybe the people who companies like this feel they can market off the back of or have some association with it's sort of different rules for them and 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 then actually much harsher rules for people down the chain yeah definitely i, I think that's definitely true it definitely feels like the the top name pros particularly the ones that are known better known in the us can get away with stuff that uh, the rest of us really can't I mean, it's good that they have punishments in place, obviously, for bad behavior, because uh, there needs to be some sort of uh, punishment process so that people can't just do what they want. But it's but 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 then when you see some of the top pros acting in ways which would almost certainly cause uh, lesser known pros to be um, or, or, or recreationals to be punished, that just undermines the whole thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's really unfortunate. It's also I mean, there's there's no real clear rule book. So, you know, I'm a former football referee and one of the problems referees have is if they appear to be inconsistent, but, you know, every situation can be slightly different and it might be that uh, we don't know what the exact rule is and therefore we don't know, you know, maybe sometimes you can look at two situations and, and in your mind they're the same, but then when you actually see the list of specific rules, you can see there's one difference. Uh, as an example, um, I tried to get the uh, the cover of my new book as my avatar on a site recently and I, I wasn't able to so I thought okay well this is unfair because I've seen other people use promotional tools but then when I spoke to a representative of the site they said well you can't have playing cards in your avatar because that that can be confusing and both both covers of the books actually contain playing cards so once I understood the rule I accepted it um, uh, I think maybe a clearer list of guidelines as to what the actual rules are would would help as well yeah, and, and it would help if if once in a while the person who's famous actually got the shit end of the stick. Mm. That doesn't that doesn't happen. So it's yeah. it's like inconsistent 
always in the same direction. Yeah. So I guess it's consistent. <laughs> is what I'm saying. Uh, you know, because you've seen Helmuth, it's been a topic where um, a lot of his appeal is like the entertainment value. And he harnesses that when he's at a TV table and he will call people's names. And, you know, some people are like, delighted by receiving the the uh, rant from Helmuth, um, but some people aren't. And and I can't act like that, you know, and some random person can't act like that. If, if I get stacked at the WSOP, like, feature table and I start calling someone like you idiot from Northern Europe like you don't know what the fuck you're doing if I start doing that like I'll get a penalty and he won't and I, I think that we need to just like suss that out and figure out like how it should be if it should be you know help me silence when he wants to do that or it should be the other way around and we're, we're just gonna let people like rib each other and and do whatever and like try to make poker more interesting and let it be how it would be in a home game that's fine too but I, I've definitely seen uh, different treatment for different players at, at you know, the, the obviously different um, tiers of, of fame in poker. And I just think that's what's kind of unfair. And I think this was an opportunity to at least give a slap on the wrist um, or a warning. You know, I don't think there's even really a warning in place where I'm like, well, what if he's like, oh, my followers went up by a thousand when I called this girl this name. Maybe I'll just do it again. Like I benefited from it. I, I don't even feel like there's a, if you do this again, this is what's going to happen to you. There's not really anything. Yeah, certainly a, a very weak response, which you'd love to see reversed. There's nothing to stop them, you know, changing mm -hmm. their mind on what they should or shouldn't do. Um, and, and I guess I know we are in danger of belaboring this, and this has been a, an oft made conversation in the last few days, I'm sure, between poker friends as well who, who just shoot in the breeze. But I think it is so important at some level, without being too preachy or too sort of um, high and mighty about it, when you see something like this and it isn't the game that you love and you play and it's part of your living, you have to condemn it and you have to say that it's completely not okay. And if that means maybe overstating that or, or the risk is overstating it, I, d I don't think... Um, that that's an issue you know in a week from now there'll be another story you can be sure of it and people mm -hmm. will have moved on but for the moment this is the the major scandal or horrible awful thing this week and it's down to decent-minded poker players to have conversations about what the right things to do are and we really appreciate your uh, opinions Jamie obviously uh, working with the WSOP obviously having your standing in the community it's all very and, and your legal brain too it's very valuable to, to hear your yeah, insights. I was, I was gonna say I shoot myself in the foot a little bit with some of these opinions because I know like if I just always cited WSOP it's good for me right if I'm like you know everything you guys do is right please sponsor me and put me in the booth and all this but you know they they should want to do a good job like Ty Stewart, uh, I also think WSP.com is doing a good job. I think Daniel Barilli, who's like, um, she's basically helping with scheduling and stuff. And she knows a lot of poker players and talks to a lot of people. I really think they're doing a much better job than they have in the last couple of years of putting together a really good schedule um, and just listening to players. So I think that part is good, but I'm hoping that they're open to criticism on stuff like this from people who aren't like, I'm not someone who's like out to get them. Like, I'm very happy that they're running bracelet events I could play from my office here. Uh, so I hope they actually take into account, like, the people who are complaining. Like, I'm not a squeaky wheel with a lot of things. But I feel like with this, I'm like, do something. Like, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating because there's so many things people ask about getting more women into poker. And I think most of the time it's bullshit. I think most of the time it's a company trying to appear to care. Um, yeah, where I think there's opportunities where they can show they actually do care and a lot of them don't really take those opportunities and that is frustrating to me. 
Well, look, Jamie, you're an opinionated person. You do stick your head above the parapet, even if it means potentially risking not getting a gig down the line from someone who might not appreciate the criticism. Dara, you've been somebody who has spent your poker career more than happy to speak out when uh, you saw something that you didn't like as well. Um, so I think that's something that you know you can relate to and you can kind of see as being not necessarily damaging to one's poker ambassadorial brand. Oh, Dara? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, 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 we need squeaky wheels in the industry. We, we can't all be sort of like bland, toe the party line people like you, David. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, yeah. thank you so much. Daryl Kearney, as usual, thank you as well from Dublin. Good night.